0: Amen. We can thank God for who he is. We can thank God for helping Albert not trust Kenny to be a therapist. It's just that everything's working well this morning. It's great. Yeah, this uh this is the last week we're going to be in the book of Ezekiel. And the same God we just worshipped for his power, for his majesty, for his forgiveness, is also the same God who meets us when we need comfort. He meets us in our grief. And the holidays can be a time of emotions, high highs and low lows, and God says he meets us in the midst of all those different emotions together. As we look at Ezekiel chapter 19 today, we're going to see something really fascinating, which is of all the different ways God's trying to get our attention, he's going to use a very unique one, a very unique visual aid today, so much so that I think it needs to be experienced as much as it needs to be taught. So I'll just set the stage for you. Imagine you've walked into the room and a guitar has just finished playing Amazing Grace quietly. We're at a funeral. There are three caskets up here at the front. After the guitar finishes, a mother gets up from this front seat right here. She walks up. She's going to try and deliver a eulogy for her son's. All three that have died. As she stumbles her way and tries to gain the strength, she sort of collapses under the weight of the grief. She walks over to the first casket and places her right hand on it. She begins to shake. She just thinks about all the memories, all of what could have been. She moves over to a second casket. This time her knees buckle and both hands fall. And you see her just sobbing, sobbing over her son. She then walks over to the third casket and just barely touches it with her left hand, and she dares not let the emotion overcome her a third time. Someone comes up to help her up the stairs. She walks up to the podium. And with the heart of a mother, she speaks about her love for all three sons. How she tried to raise them right. How she warned them about the kind of behavior that would lead to what happened today. She tried to warn them that if they continued in these practices, bad things would happen. She speaks about her love and her care, her hopes and her dreams for each of her three sons. And then she reads a poem she wrote. She said, I feel... Like a mother lion who today has lost my three lion cubs. I taught them to hunt. I taught them to push back on their enemies. And yet they were each caught in a trap. They were chained and they were killed because they rebelled against me and the faith I tried to put within them. It's a lament, it's a grief. It's a grief overtaking a path that leads to destruction that all along the way we were warned about. And this is the visual aid God uses in Ezekiel chapter 19. A mother lion with three lion cubs that have died. And the grieving mother, because the chapter begins with these words, Moreover, Ezekiel, take up a lamentation. An expression of grief for the princes, the three kings, your three sons who have died. And say, moreover, take up a lamentation, a heaviness of grief for the princes of Israel. And say, what is your mother? She is a lioness. And what God is going to try and communicate here is we've heard about him as a strong courageous, a tower, one who can help you face the fear. But here in the visual aid he uses, he uses the description of a mother's heart, a lioness. And he says, I am a heavenly father, no doubt, but I want you to know that what's beating inside your father's chest is a mother's heart. There is a mother's heart beating inside your father's chest who wants to warn you who wants to protect you, who wants to cherish you, who wants to keep you from danger, who wants to tell you when you begin to wander off the right path, please come back. I don't want to be speaking words at your funeral. I want to celebrate every stage of your development instead. And I think what this lioness wants to communicate to her cubs is what God wants to communicate to His people through this visual aid. He wants to tell us that in the same way, there is a mother's heart beating inside our Heavenly Father's chest. He speaks about a mother's lion in the first half of the chapter. Then he transitions into what it means to be a mother vine, both of which are nourishing, both of which are grieving, the 400 years of warnings that have led to this moment and this dirge and this funeral for Judah and her kings. And I think beyond the facts, which we're going to look at a lot of facts today, I think what God wants for you What God wants for me is for us to say we can trust his motherly heart. He wants us to connect deeply with his emotional heart, knowing that we don't just break his commandments, we break his heart. He's not just arbitrarily giving sort of random concepts for how to live our life. He wants to keep us from danger. That's his heart toward us. And when we come to circumstance, we're not sure what to do or if we can trust his way. He says, when you can't trace my hand, trust my motherly heart. Begins in the next verse. What does it mean for God to be a mother lion? Well, take up this lamentation and say, what is your mother? She's a lioness. And she lay down with the lions. She was highly involved with her leaders. Among the young lions, she nourished her cubs. And in the same way, the lion, we're going to find in a moment who she represents, but sort of God, it's Judah, and it's an actual mother, sort of all wrapped up in one. But God says, like a motherly lion, like any mother, I know what it means to nourish you. I took you as a small child, and I breastfed you. I was connected to you. You and me were, 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 were not only tight, but we were connected in a supernatural way. I remember playing, laying down among you, I remember laying together and playing games together and connecting with you and, and I brought you up and like every mother knows to, to bring your cubs up, to see them mature, to see them have dreams of their own, to see them have hopes of their own, to see them win certain games and win certain championships and discover their, their strengths and discover everything. Oh my goodness, the mother's heart to celebrate bringing you up and seeing you grow and seeing you become a young man or young woman. And I celebrated your development, and I celebrated your growth, and I celebrated what you were becoming. And I saw you begin to learn what you need to learn to be the kind of lion you need to be in the world. You learn how to catch prey, you learn how to devour men, come against your enemies. And I was so celebrating what you were doing, and how God was developing you, and how I, as a mother, got an opportunity to see and be used in that process. So, who's the lion? Well, again, I think it's three people. One, it's God communicating his heart, his motherly heart. So he's mixed into the lion metaphor. Because the three cubs represent three kings of Judah, the lion of Judah phrase you probably heard before, the lion represents Judah as a nation giving forth birth to these three princes, but also represents an actual mother who is the mother of these three princesses. We have to swing over to 2 Kings to get that. Jehoiachin... Do you remember two weeks ago, I gave you little visuals of the kings. They're coming back. They're crazier than ever today. Jehoiachin, who's our leader with the big chin, he's 18 years old when he becomes king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for three months. Imagine, and many of us don't have to, you see your kids coming to their own. Imagine your son becomes the president of such and such. He wins the award. He scores the winning soccer goal, and your heart is filled, filled with gratitude. Imagine this mother seeing her son Jehoiachin has become the king of the nation. He reigned in Jerusalem, but only for three months. He didn't come in wanting to reign for three months. But because of the actions he decides to do, because of the way he rebels against God, because of the lack of attention to his heavenly father and his heavenly father's heart rebelling against it, he will lose the stewardship of his reign after only three short months. But here we get his mother's name. His mother's name was Nahashta, the daughter of somebody I can't pronounce. So Nehushta is the lion, Judah is the lioness, and God is the lioness. All these metaphors are mixed together as God's communicating through Ezekiel how he feels toward Judah, how this actual mother feels toward her sons. And what happens? Well, back to Ezekiel. The nations also heard of him. Again, speaking of Jehoahaz. You remember, Jehoahaz was the king with the hoe. That's why I got the hoe with him. So Jehoahaz, keep track of who's who. So one of her sons, Jehoahaz, becomes king. And the nations heard of him. Oh my goodness, this lion of Judah, this powerful king, this mighty ruler. And they came and they trapped him in their pits. And they brought him with chains to the land of Egypt. And when she saw that she waited, that her hope was lost. And now her first son, King Jehoahaz, reigning at 609 B.C. With the tragicness of watching not only your children have disappointments, not only your children fail or be hurt, but imagine watching your son marched off to a POW camp. Imagine him trapped deep into a pit by your enemies, chained up, and you watched and you were powerless to do anything as your son was marched off to his death. And that was the first casket that she would see. And after her first son was lost and her hope that he would turn back and that God would restore, we go to verse 6. And in here, again, we need to keep track of who's who. So here's all of our our people again. And so we have King Josiah, that's G.I. Joe up there. So King Josiah, and I'm adding a character, he married Queen Nehushta. So that's Queen Nehushta who we're talking about here. She had three sons, King Jehoahaz with the hoe, King Jehoiakim, who's not going to be mentioned in today's passage, and... King Jehoiachin, who's got the big chin. All right? So the three caskets, the three sons she's grieving, are going to be Jehoahaz, Jehoiachin, and Jehoiakim, And we'll also find her brother is involved in this passage in a second. I won't go deeper than that. That's all you need to know. We just talked about Jehoahaz. He's been marched off to Egypt in a pit. And now we're going to transition over to the next one to reign was Jehoiachin. So she took another of her cubs. Again, this is God giving the leader. This is the nation of Judah giving another one of her leaders. And this is Nahashtar giving another one of her sons in the leadership and made him a young lion. He roved among the lions and became a young lion. And again, she's got the hope, the excitement of watching someone develop in their faith, develop in their skills. He learned how to catch prey. He learned how to fight his enemies and devour men. He knew their desolate places. He knew their weak spots. He knew how to, to wage war and wage waste against the cities of his enemies. The land with its fullness was desolated by the noise of his roaring. It was a powerful leader. When he roared, there was fear in the land. We had a strong leader amongst us. Then the nations set against him. Then because he rebelled against God and because he rebelled against God's commands, God allowed other nations to come in around him. From all the providences on every side, he was literally boxed in. And they spread their net over him. And he was trapped also in their pit. They pulled him out of the pit and they put him in a cage. And they chained him. That his voice would no longer be heard on the mountains of Israel. And Jehoiachin, who was reigning in Judah, will be chained up, locked up. And he too will be escorted to Babylon where he will be imprisoned because of his inability to obey God and take the consequences of discipline of living under the Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king of, of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. And now we have another example of this poor mother whose heart is broken again because now she watches a second time another son thrown into a pit. Another son put into a cage and another son chained. And they longed for leadership and they longed to hear the voice of that lion. But now there is no voice of a lion heard on the mountains of Israel. Now Jehoiachin, we find out from Second Kings, some other things that happened to this poor guy. Jehoiachin, notice he comes to power, he's only 18 years old. And he becomes king. And he reigned in Jerusalem, how long? three months in those three months, so much potential, so much future, so much life to give. And because of the compromises he will make in those three months, he will be imprisoned by the king of Babylon for thirty four years. which many of us as moms and dads can appreciate talking to our 18-year-olds. Many of us had our parents talk to us when we were 18, and they said things like this. you got to be careful. You make one little mistake here at 18. The consequences for your decisions are really, really big. Oh, Mom, stop worrying. Oh, Dad, stop worrying. I'll be fine. Oh, come on, right? You remember your parents said it to you, your grandparents said it to them, and you're saying it to your kids. And you didn't think it was important when your parents listen. "No, oh, come on, Mom and Dad, your kids sort of ignore you when you're talking, and now these three cubs are ignoring their mother and their Heavenly Father speaking, saying, you've got to be careful here. You're going to pay a long time for a short-term compromise. And history tells us that Jehoiachin, a three-month compromise in his leadership, will result in a 34-year imprisonment. He did evil in the sight of the Lord during those 3 months according to all that his father had done. And at that time the servants of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came up against Jerusalem. And the city was besieged. And not only was he hurt, and that's how leadership works. The people around you get hurt. The whole time you tell yourself, I'm only hurt myself, I'll hurt myself. And you blow up a family, and you blow up a marriage, and you blow up your kids' ability to connect with faith, you blow up a company, people's trust in leadership, people's trust in management, it all gets blown up. All because one person made a short-term compromise and it affected everybody. The whole city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came against the city as his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiachin, our 18-year-old, three months in command, king of Judah, and his mom, and his servants, and his princes, And his officers were carried out by the king of Babylon. You pay a long time for a short-term compromise. Another lesson of leadership is that your decisions affect everyone who's been entrusted to you. Which is why this motherly heart is pleading with us to stay close to God. And in the eighth year of the king of Nebuchadnezzar, King Babylon's reign, he took him, Jehoiachin, prisoner. One more passage sort of plays this out, and I'll show you in a second who this guy is, but his uncle will then be put in power by Nebuchadnezzar named Zedekiah. He's the Zoro pitcher from two weeks ago, but I'll show you who he is again. And he, too, will rebel against God. He, too, will end up imprisoned in a casket as far as his leadership goes. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. They put put out the eyes of of the king himself after watching them kill his sons. They bound him with bronze fetters, which are like ankle shackles, and they took him to Babylon. And and now Nehushta, and now Judah, and now God watches a third prince marched into captivity. Because your rage came against me, Isaiah tells us, and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn your back by the way which you came. And God is now speaking to nations saying, what's happened to your kings is going to happen to you. And we see archaeological finds that show exactly what the Babylonians would do in taking out the eyes and putting a hook into the lips. In fact, Zedekiah in history, the Babylonians as well as Egyptians would often take an actual like, meat hook and put it through the skin of your back and drag you as you walked your way across. And again, these are severe consequences and severe pain. And God has warned for 400 years, please change your path. That's fine. I'm not going to get hurt. Please. It's going to be dangerous. Ah, oh, don't worry about it so much. Please. I don't want to be at your funeral. I don't want to see you go through this pain. Will you please trust my heart? Even if you disagree with me, will you trust that I've been around a little bit longer than you have? Will you trust that I know a little bit more than you do? Will you trust my heart, even if you don't agree with me? If not, you're going to end up with your eyes poked out, the hook in your back, And a ring in your lips. I think the application here, before we move to the second movement of this, God is saying to you and I, I want you to stay close to the right lion. Remember two weeks ago in his parable about the two eagles, he said, You turned away from one eagle and you went to Egypt. I think he'd say to you and I, The greatest thing you and I can do with our life is stay close to the lion of Judah. Stay close to his wisdom, stay close to his heart. When given a choice between my way and God's way, I'm going to not trust in my own understanding, but trust in the Lion of Judah. When given the decision between holding bitterness or forgive, I'm going to choose forgiveness. Choosing secrecy over confession, I'm going to choose confession. Choosing hoarding over generosity, I'm going to choose generosity. In every area of my life, God says, stay close to me, your Lioness. Let me protect you. Let me train you. Let me teach you. Don't go find comfort amongst the comfort of the lion of Egypt. There's so many other things in this world who who want to be your lioness, who want to be your mother, who want to be your provider. Please, please, please stay near me. Make me your source, he says. I think one of the principles we learn here from what we've unpacked so far is that number one, leadership is stewardship. Each king was given a certain amount of time. Leadership is always stewardship. You're given a certain influence, a certain time to be a dad to your two- and three-year-olds, a certain window to be a, a dad to your to your preteens. There's a certain season to be a father or a mother to your teenagers. There's a certain season at which you, you only get that first year to make your patterns work in your first year of marriage. And often in a job, we think, well, I earn this, and we get to a certain level. And then you see people who hit a cap in the company because instead of doing the right thing, they're so worried about losing their position that they make decisions that just keep their position because they're worried they're going to lose their position. And God says leadership is stewardship. You're always going to lose your position. It may take 20 years, 30 years. You're always going to lose your position. So the question is not, will you lose it? The question is, will you operate my principles while you're there? Because leadership is stewardship. It's temporary. Eventually, somebody will come around who will succeed you in retirement or will be smarter than you or better than you. And so do I look at my life as a stewardship of opportunity, a stewardship of, of gifts, a stewardship of moments to say, God, if you place me here for a reason, how do you want me to steward my money, my time, my energy, my opportunities to be the father, to be the dead, to be the leader, to be the woman you want me to be? Because leadership is stewardship. It's temporary, and it's also, you're going to be held accountable. You see, while this is going on, we're seeing three kings who were held accountable, and they lost their power. They lost their power. They lost their power. Meanwhile, over in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar is learning the same thing from Daniel, who says, if you don't acknowledge God, he's going to take your sanity from you. And he gets Vivanthropia, which is, a, he acts in. And thinks he's a cow for many years until he acknowledges God. And God rips his stewardship of leadership from him. And then he acknowledges God. And God gives him another window of stewardship. And then he becomes very, very arrogant. And they're, they're in their fortified city one day thinking no one can break into the Babylonian city. The walls were thick. They had over a year's supply of food. They built their city on top of a river. So they had a regular area for water, for dumping waste. They said this place was impenetrable. And then at this one party one day, God appears to the king of Babylon to talk about his stewardship of opportunity. And with a giant hand, writes on the wall, mean, mean, Tekel which means your stewardship has been weighed. The way you've managed your life has been weighed by the courts of heaven. And you've been found wanting. And therefore, your kingdom will be divided and taken from you. To which in the fear and awe of this giant hand in the room, they said to themselves, Yeah, but no one can conquer our city. Maybe one day we'll lose it, but no one breaks into Babylon. Little would they know that what God predicted, history records that within 24 hours they would lose the city. How? Leadership is stewardship. God raises kings and he takes down kings. 20 years earlier, the Persians had been diverting the river. 20 years earlier! They realized that that river going under the city was the way they could de- destroy the city. They began to divert the river in another direction. And they got the water diverted just enough that the water level went down an inch, two inches, six to eight inches. Just enough that that very night, the water level got enough that they could take their entire army with the water level up to their chins and go right underneath the water supply. And they'd come up from the inside of the city and conquer Babylon from the inside out in one 24-hour period of time. Leadership is stewardship. It's temporary, and will be held accountable. Secondly, you pay a long time for a short compromise. 37 years of pain for three months of poor leadership. Then lastly, he makes a transfer. He's still using the mother metaphor, but he moves from the mother metaphor of a lion to the mother metaphor of a vine. He says, your mom provided so well for you And notice the metaphor sort of mixes in here as he mixes the two. Your mother was like a vine in your bloodline. Now we have a bloodline like from the lion metaphor, but we're talking about a vine and sap from the sap metaphor as he makes the transition. Your mother was a lion. Your mother was a vine. And in your bloodline, she planted you by the water. She had hopes. She provided for you. She encouraged you. She loved you. She helped you. And oh my goodness, she put you in an opportunity to to get your very best out of you. She wanted you to be fruitful and full of branches, expanding your reach, expanding your opportunity, just getting the very best out of you. Those represent Judah also, her kings, her leaders, her opportunities. God made them a choice vine to bless the world because of the many waters. God provided by putting you in the right place, by providing you with everything that you needed. This is the kind of mother our Heavenly Father is. And with that, this vine metaphor, she's moving in and talking about having lost Jehoahaz, having lost Jehoiachin, the Babylonians are like, we'll pick a leader. So they came over to the family line of Nehushta, and they said, we'll pick somebody from your family tree, but no longer will use your sons. So Nehushta's brother... Prince Zedekiah, and they called him prince rather than king because he was appointed by the Babylonians. So now Zedekiah, who I have looking like Zorro, who eventually has his eyes poked out as we saw in 2 Kings, he is appointed prince under the oppression of Babylon. And Babylon basically says, Zedekiah, look at me. Let me tell you what happened to Jehoiachin. Should we go visit him in the dungeon? (laughs) Should we go look at Jehoahaz? No, no, no. Will you do what I'm telling you to do? Will you operate the way I tell you to operate? Will you keep your word? Will you do what I'm saying? Yeah, I'll do what you're saying. But he doesn't. And God had said to Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel, Guys, we rebelled for 400 years. We need to endure 70 years of Babylonian exile so that God can teach us humility because we've been so arrogant and so hubris. And God wants us to learn humility but they just kept rebelling. So in this fine metaphor, we're talking primarily about Zedekiah, who reigns from 597 to 586. He makes it a lot longer. He learned some of the lessons, but not quite enough. The metaphor continues. Your mother, Judah, God, provide great leadership for you. She had strong branches with scepters, which means leaders of rulers. She towered in statue above the thick branches. And was seen in her height and the dense foliage. God designed the nation of Israel to be a blessing to other people with a totally different ethic about the, the importance of life, the importance of helping the poor, the, the, the critical nature of caring for the widow, caring for the handicapped, seeing all life as precious, the message of forgiveness coming through the Messiah. God had so much in store for the nation of Israel. God had so much in store for His children. God has so many plans for you and I to be a visual aid to the watching world. And Mom gave you great leadership so that you could know that, so you could feel that, so you could experience that. And yet, because of the decisions these three kings made, these three vines made, these three cubs made, not only did they hurt themselves, but back to our other lesson. The thing about leadership is You never only hurt yourself. When you decide to go wayward, it always affects everyone around you. And in this case, your mother who planted you, your mother who provided for you, is the mother who will be burned because of you. And she is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. And so now the nation of Judah has been plucked out from the land of milk and honey Moved to Babylon and dropped in a land that was dry and thirsty. And because of the lack of leadership, the lack of integrity, now all the nation has been put in a dry and thirsty place. Fire has come out from the rod of her branches and devoured her fruit. And now the temple will be destroyed, the city will be ransacked, Judah, the mother of vine, will be burned and destroyed. So she has no strong branch. She has no scepter for ruling. And at this point, the readers are like, oh, no. God had promised that a scepter would rise out of Jacob, that a, a stump would come out of Jesse. That Yes, we've been rebellious. Yes, we've done the wrong thing. But God promised the Messiah who would forgive us for what we've done, who would lead us, who would teach us, who would instruct us. And now he's saying the scepter line has been cut off. What will we do? And just as the news feels horrible, and he wants it to feel horrible, that's why he comes back again and says, by the way, in case you missed it, this is a funeral service. It's a lamentation. And you have become a lamentation, where people just weep over what happened to you. And the bad news preceded by the good news is this. God says, I'm going to send an ultimate scepter. I'm going to send a kind of scepter that will come into your life and this scepter will be the Messiah. If you remember two weeks ago, just as things got bad, he said, but one day I'm going to take a new vine. And I'm going to plant a new vine up on the highest hill. And that is the Messiah. And that new vine will be able to bring life to, the, to death. That, that new vine, that Messiah that will come, will be the ultimate ruler. He'll be able to forgive you for your rebellious hearts. That vine that will come will be the ultimate Lion of Judah. And when that lion of Judah comes, the lion that you've longed for, the lion that you've hoped for, despite being cut off, I will hold a remnant. And from that remnant I will plant the Messiah as a choice vine on the highest mountain. And he will bring the leadership and forgiveness you want if you will trust his heart. Which is why Jesus shows up. Amazing thing about Jesus is that he will always talk about his father. Somebody just read through the Gospels and just mark how many times it says Father. It's every other sentence when he talks. My Father and I are one. I've got to trust my Father's heart. All that the Father has told me to do, I have come to do and accomplish. But in the midst of all the Father metaphors and descriptions, Jesus will stand before Jerusalem before going into his final week. And he will see their rebellion, rejecting him, rejecting God, And they're just about to lose their temple. Just like Ezekiel said they were about to lose theirs. They're just about to lose their city and be ransacked by the Romans, even more than they already have. And Jesus will look out upon Jerusalem. And he doesn't reach into his pocket to pull out a father metaphor. He pulls out a motherly one. He says, oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. How I long to gather you in my wings, like a mother hen gathers her chicks. There's a mother's heart beating your father's chest. Oh, that you would trust me for forgiveness! Oh, that you would trust me for your decisions! Oh, that you would trust me for leadership! And Jesus wept over Jerusalem knowing that because they weren't obeying God and weren't accepting His wisdom and accepting His advice, He too would attend their funeral as the temple was once again ransacked in 70 A.D. I think the lesson that comes back to us is God says, please, I don't want to attend your funeral. Will you trust my heart when you can't trace my hand? Will you see your life as a stewardship from me? something that could be taken away at any moment and say, if I've really been gifted this leadership in my life, in my family, in my career, how can I manage what I've been given? How can I put God's principles and kingdom into my life in such a way to honor the stewardship He's given to me? See, there's a mother's heart beating in your father's chest. And God wants you to know Him not just as a heavenly father, but as a loving, cherishing Caring play-with-the-cubs kind of mom as well. So three lessons. I want you to think about one as we leave today. Number one, leadership is stewardship. Do you see your life as stewardship? Do you realize that whatever season you're in, it's temporary, and you're going to be held accountable? Two, you pay a long time for a short-term compromise. And many of us, people don't know it right now, but you know that right now you're walking the line somewhere. And you're saying to yourself, I'm not going to fall. It's not that big a deal. Oh, maybe just a little bit. I'm not going to hurt anyone but myself. Nobody knows about it. And you're playing around with a short term compromise. So, have you already taken one step into that compromise? And God is saying to you, please listen. Please, I know you think it's not a big deal. But that little bit of fudging, that little bit of lying, that little bit of compromise that you're dangling with, you're going to pay a long time. It's a long fall from here. And maybe today's the day you repent. Say, God, forgive me for the path I'm on. Thank you for the reminder that there's a funeral at the end of this road that you want to rescue me from. God, I want to come back and be close to the Lion of Judah, whose arms are open wide to forgive us, to love us, to embrace us and protect us. Or lastly... Maybe the lesson you need to learn is that lie that we all tell ourselves, I'm only hurting myself, is not true. It's just not true. As leaders, as parents, as husbands, as moms, my actions always affect everyone around me. So the reason I've got to stay close to God is I want to keep myself safe, but also those I've been entrusted with. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your heavenly heart toward us. God, will you teach us? how to love you the way you love us. Will you teach us how to see you, not as some cosmic equation or cosmic law, but as a loving father and a loving mother who deeply wants to connect with us and be in our presence. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for being with us today. We are done with Ezekiel. You have to cover the other 24 chapters yourself. And we'll see you next week as we're in the book of Hebrews together for Christmas.